0: CHAPTER THREE OF JOHN DEAN OF NOTTINGHAM HISTORIC ADVENTURES BY LAND AND SEA This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. JOHN DEAN OF NOTTINGHAM HISTORIC ADVENTURES BY LAND AND SEA By William Henry Giles Kingston CHAPTER THREE A POACHING EXPEDITION TO COLICK PARK Jack forms an acquaintance who leads him into difficulties. As soon as the party broke up, Jack hurried to his room, and very contrary to his usual custom, threw himself into a chair, and unconsciously pressing his hand on his brow, rested his elbow on the little oak table which stood by his bedside. The way in which the walls were adorned showed the tastes of the occupants of the chamber. The most honoured ornament was a fowling piece with a curious lock lately invented, the gift of Cousin Nat, which had superseded the stout crossbow hanging beneath it. One wall was devoted to fishing-rods, and tackle, and nets. Amongst them was a rod of which Isaac Walton, that great professor of the gentle art, had himself spoken approvingly, when once, while fishing in the silvery Trent, he had seen it flourished in Cousin Nat's hands. There were two sets of foils with masks and gloves and several cudgels with strange knots and devices cut from ancient trees in sherwood Forest, beneath whose once wide-spreading boughs certain feats of the renowned robin hood were said to have been performed in one and all the tales relating to the exploits of the bold outlaw it is scarcely necessary to say that jack put the most implicit faith and would have been highly indignant had any one ventured to doubt their authenticity or correctness in one corner of the room stood a bookcase a very unpretending piece of furniture in itself but it contained every ballad jack believed to have been written or at all events on which he could lay hold connected with robin hood it contained however other tomes besides several school books their dark covers sadly battered and their leaves inked dogs eared and torn there were kind isaac walton's complete angler highly prized by jack Fox's Book of Martyrs, presented to him by Aunt Bethia, and a work he valued more than all the others, Percher's Travels. And often as he conned these pages, he longed to be able to visit the strange countries and go through the wonderful adventures therein described. The fact was that Jack had a very good head on his shoulders, and if he had broken his leg or met with any other accident which would have confined him to the house, he would have taken very readily to reading. In his case his physical powers demanded more exercise than his mental, whereas in the case of his brother Jasper his mental activity preponderated over his mere animal spirits. Jack required a tether to keep him within bounds, Jasper a spur to make him move fast enough to keep up with the times. Yet in most respects the elder was superior to the younger brother, cast in a finer mould, with keener sensibilities, a gentler heart, and more moral, if not physical, courage. Jack had, however, many good qualities, but many of his doings were not such as deserved imitation. Such book knowledge as he possessed he had obtained at the Nottingham Grammar School, where, as was the case at other places of education of the same character, boys were allowed to pick up what they chose, and if not inclined to learn, no great effort was made to instruct them. Jack had therefore run wild, and he had done many things for which he had caused to be sorry, and had sometimes even got into trouble about them. He had not, however, even yet learned wisdom. His character was, however, to be developed, and may probably be so in the following pages. "'I would do anything to please her,' said he to himself. "'I do not think she would like to know the work I have promised to engage in to-night. And yet how am I to be off it? I know myself it's not right.' but I gave my word to those fellows, and ought I to break it? I do not like the forest laws, but they are laws notwithstanding, and it behoves honest men to obey them. Mm, there's the rub. How I did not come to think of that before, I don't know. Perhaps Alithia put it into my head, and yet she did not speak very approvingly of the King and the Parliament, so I suppose she would not much object to my breaking the laws which they have formed. Still, she would not like to see me placed in the pillory, and that would be my fate if I was caught poaching. There's no use mincing the matter. That's the word. But I was never frightened of anything, and I'm not going to be frightened at that. I gave my word, and I must stick to my word." Saying this, Jack started up and began to throw aside his holiday suit. Instead he donned his roughest clothes, took down the fishing boots from the wall, filled his pockets with tackle and threw a landing net over his shoulder thus prepared with slouched hat that concealed his features he gently opened the window and by means of a leaden water spout and a pear tree growing up the wall under his window slipped noiselessly to the ground he quickly scaled the garden wall and took his way down a narrow lane winding between tall and irregular houses till he reached the side of the narrow river leine which sweeping by the foot of the castle hill ultimately falls into the trent. He was soon clear of all the buildings, when, stopping under a tall hedgerow which ran down into the stream, a low whistle reached his ears. "'That is Smedley,' he said to himself. "'Well, I will fulfil my promise, and then break with these fellows for good.' He whistled in return in the same manner. Immediately a youth of about his own age stepped out from the shelter of a hedge. "'Well, Jack, I'm glad you've come at last,' said Smedley. "'It's growing late.' and the other fellows will be waiting for us down the stream.' "'Where is the boat?' asked Jack. "'I promised to go with you to-night, and I am not the man to break my word. But just let me tell you, Tom, for once and for all, I am determined that this shall be the last time.' "'Don't I say that, Jack,' answered Smedley. "'I cannot afford to lose you. We want a good leader in all our work, and you are just the man for us. As for the boat, she is down by the edge of Colic Causeway, under the bushes.' and Ned Bligh has got mufflers for the oars, and we're all ready, so come with us now, and don't be bothering your head about the future. The young men were soon walking along the sward of Colick Park, with the great trees throwing their shadows across it when the moon, often hidden by clouds, came out, and cast its light upon them. Sometimes also it showed groups of cattle lying down sleeping, or lazily chewing the cud, among the sweet herbage of the riverside no other living creature was in sight so that jack and his companion were not afraid of talking in their usual tone of voice they kept however well under the shade of the trees those are some of mr strelly's beasts i believe said jack a fine lot they are too they will soon be off towards cambridge and bring a good round sum at starbridge fair i wish i had the driving of them i should not mind the selling either are they the island cattle which bill brimstead bought for him at st Faith's?" asked a voice so close to the two speakers that they both startled come out into the moonlight friend said jack boldly i don't answer questions to a man that keeps out of sight the stranger stepped out from beneath the shadow of a row of beech trees which grew on the bank close to the path which jack and his companion were following he was a broad-set countryman in appearance habited in a well-worn but strong riding suit with leather leggings a horseman's jack boots and a broad, leathern belt in which Jack's quick eye caught the sight of a pistol-barrel. He seemed considerably entertained by Jack's challenge, and repeated his question with great good humour, in an unmistakable Yorkshire accent. "'Perhaps you know as much as I do about the beasts,' answered Jack. "'Some of them are scotch and well-fed on those rich water-meadows, till they are nearly as valuable as the Leicestershire breed. I see a few down there which are real Herefordshire too.' now may i ask who you are well a fair answer deserves another in return i'm a yorkshire cattle dealer at your service just passing through nottingham and i walked out here to see if there was anything likely to suit me in case i choose to make a bargain tomorrow morning i must be early on the road to derby i hope you're satisfied young man now let me ask you what game are you after and to be honest with you we came to catch a salmon or two answered jack there are some fine ones now and then down the stream a little way though it's not often salmon come so far up the river we shall have a boat here which will carry us close up to the weir ah i like that sort of thing said the yorkshireman i've seen a good bit of such sport in my time but now if i were to lend you a hand with the Leicester, we would soon have a fine one that way and if we had a lantern ready we might take a few by stunning besides oh yes we should be glad for you to come answered smedley before jack could say anything i should like above all things to see a man fish sunned." well then answered the yorkshireman you and your friend here must give me your word to forget if ever you should see me again that you met me this night on that condition i will show you some north country sport on that alone mind you he added turning to jack for i can trust you by the tone of your voice you must answer for your friends in the boat Oh yes i will answer for them as i would myself said jack who forgetting his former good resolutions was almost as eager as smedley to witness the new style of sport which the stranger had promised them just then the boat of which they had been talking came stealthily in sight rowed by two other lads much of the same age as jack and his friend the latter with the yorkshireman quickly stepped into her when without loss of time the boat glided again down the stream "'This is a friend we've picked up who's going to show us some sport, Bligh said Smedley in a low tone of voice. "'We can trust him, and he knows that he can trust us, so it's all right.' In a short time they entered the Trent and quickly arrived at the weir, which was formed by large stones roughly laid together, so as to throw the water into a broad cascade as it came tumbling over to the lower reach of the river. Smedley was more inclined to be talkative than Jack or the other lads in the boat what are we to call you master he asked of the stranger call me master pearson that is a good midland county name enough he said with a low laugh you have not got a lyster in the boat have you i have an idea from the look of place that if i had one i could catch you a salmon quicker than by any other way the lyster of which master pearson spoke was a three-pronged fork used for spearing fish no answered smedley none of us are good hands at using such a thing We'll just pull it here to the bank and i will see if i can get a stick which will answer the purpose answered master pearson without having to search long he found a stake which had been driven into the stream to prevent drawing nets across it the stick apparently suiting his fancy with a piece of wire with great dexterity he in a short time manufactured a pronged harpoon balancing it in his hand he seemed satisfied with his performance sitting down in the boat he next took off his boots and long-skirted greatcoat, which he deposited on the seat and, tucking up his ample trousers, waded into the weir, while the boat was still rocking some distance from it. Jack followed close behind him, and with delight saw a noble salmon glistening now and then in the straggling moonlight, and playing securely in the shallow water, but ready to dart out into the deeper part of the stream at the slightest sound. In another instant, a crimson bubble came up to the surface of the water showing how with unerring hand the clumsy-looking weapon manufactured by master pearson had been struck home at a signal the rest of the party came up to him to carry off their prize while he continued looking about for another they felt inclined to be rather annoyed at the ease with which the stranger had captured a fish which they would have thought impossible to kill in the same way Smedley, at that moment, declared that he had heard sounds in the distance, which made him fear that the keepers were coming through the wood. "'If we're not off, we shall be getting into trouble,' he sung out. Oop "'Mon!' cried Master Pearson, loud enough to be heard through the brawling of the weir. "'You have enough time to learn how to strike a salmon, but come, I will show you another trick since we have joined company for the night.' Saying this, he returned to the boat putting on his coat and boots produced a small lantern from his capacious horseman's pocket with a flint and steel it was lighted when leaning over the side of the boat he slowly moved the light along the surface of the water now stand by with your nets he answered and you will soon pull up enough fish for your suppers as he spoke the lad saw a number of small fish attracted by the light to the surface of the water and following his advice in a short time a considerable quantity were caught this is not proper sunning he observed if i had such a lantern as we use in north we should have caught far larger fish it should be made water-tight and then when lowered down close to the net the fish are so eager to come and see the cause of the brightness thinking maybe that the sun has come down to pay them a visit that they swim right against the net and are caught in great numbers that's what we call sunning in the north i heard a voice exclaimed smedley as Master Pearson ceased speaking, there, there again, it's the keepers, as sure as we are living men. Hold your tongue, exclaimed Master Pearson, somewhat sharply. Here, give me the oars, we will soon distance the keepers, if so be that they are coming this way. You're right, I believe, though. Taking the oars in his hands, he sent the boat through the water at a rate she had seldom moved before. The noise of the oars attracted the keepers, who rushed down the water just in time to see the boat turning a reach of the river. They hurried along the bank for some distance, shouting to those in her to stop, an order not very likely to be obeyed. So vigorously did Pearson ply the oars that there seemed to be every probability of the boat escaping its pursuers. Still, the latter continued to chase along the banks. "'You must take the consequences then!' exclaimed a voice, and directly afterwards a shot whistled over their heads the lads crouched down in the boat with the exception of jack who followed pearson's example in sitting still a miss is as good as a mile observed the latter coolly There must be good marksmen to hit us at the rate we're going in this uncertain light if i was minded i might return the compliment with one of my long pistols and maybe they would wish i was further off what do you carry pistols for asked jack in a tone of surprise never you mind young man replied pearson in a different style of voice to that which he had hitherto spoken i spoke of pistols maybe i was joking you understand me all this time he was vigorously rowing away edging the boat off to the other side of the bank to that on which the keepers were following in a short time they reached the shade of some tall trees which overhung the stream and here the boat was completely hid from sight a few more strokes and there is little danger of their finding us observed the stranger and now once more they entered the mouth of the little river. Lean, up which turned the boat's head we now have to pull against the current he observed and my advice is to land and leave the boat to look after herself the best thing we can do answered jack and a few strokes brought the boat to a spot where they could easily leap on shore don't leave your fish behind you lads or your tackle either if you leave one you will lose your suppers and if you leave the other you will very likely be discovered now lads take your way and i'll take mine only just remember your promise i consider it as good as an oath and any man who breaks his oath to me will have cause to repent it now good night to you all having bid the stranger farewell smedley and the other two lads took their way along the banks of the river in the direction of some dilapidated sheds where they had arranged to meet and enjoy according to their own fashion their hard-won supper the stranger lounged away across the bridge at some little distance from the sheds while jack anxious to get home hurried off in the direction of the market-place i was wrong to go said jack to himself suppose one of us had been shot it would have been paying very dear for our night's sport such doings might be easily overlooked in a boy but i am one no longer i feel that i claim to be a man and as a man i must act i hope there is work for me to do in the world of some sort and the sooner i begin it the better and put aside all my boyish pranks a good resolution said the voice behind him jack was not aware he had been speaking aloud i followed you because i want to have a word more with you said the speaker in whom jack at once recognized as his late companion master pearson there's metal in you of the right sort, continued the stranger. What say you? Would you like to join a band of brave fellows who have a good right cause to fight for? He whispered in a low voice. There's honour and distinction to be gained, and a name maybe, and wealth in the end. It is what most men fight for, and I take it that you would not be less ready than others to use your sword for such an object. I'm much obliged to you for the compliment you pay me, answered Jack, and for the good opinion you have formed of my courage but I have no great fancy for undertaking what I know nothing about. Men do not always agree as to the goodness of a cause, and what you may consider a good cause, you will pardon me for saying it, I may consider a bad one.' "'Very discreet answer,' observed Master Pearson. "'And I think all the better of you for making it. Well, I will not press you just now. I have no doubt we shall meet again before long. And though I cannot not tell you where to find me, I have a fancy that I shall have no great difficulty in putting my finger upon you at any time. So farewell, Master John Deane. See, I know you, and moreover, I wish you well. Saying this, the stranger wrung Jack's hand cordially. Still he lingered, rather unwilling perhaps, to let the young man go, without making a more favourable impression. It is a good cause, and a right cause, which I invite you to join. I must not explain it more to you just now, but think the matter over and stay it's just possible i shall remain in nottingham all day tomorrow will you meet me in the evening as soon as it is dusk down by the bank of the river where you fell in with me just now i'll explain matters more fully to you then jack did not answer for a minute or more i must think of it he said at last you may be a very honest man mr pearson and your intentions toward me perhaps are fair but i tell you again i have no fancy to take a leap in the dark I have a plan in view myself, and I would rather carry out that than try any other. You have wished me farewell tonight already, and now I will wish you the same and leave you. Saying this, Jack took the stranger's proffered hand, and shaking it, hurried off in the direction in which he was previously going. Master Pearson looked after him for an instant, and nodding his head said to himself, He's an honest lad as well as a brave one and may be made use of if I can get a bridle into his mouth. End of chapter 3